All right, so welcome to this day on meeting change, although I think it was sometimes published as getting familiar with change, so either one will work. We're going to talk about one of the most fundamental teachings that the Buddha offered, actually, which is interesting in that it's the kind of the simplest surface level. You know, does anybody really think that things don't change? (laughs) Everybody knows that. And yet, he pointed to this as the one of the gateways to uh, the deepest kind of understanding that brings freedom and peace in our lives, which are so changeable, and which I'm sure everybody in here has met some kind of change or is feeling, going through a transition, feeling some kind of change. And that's a lot of where our suffering comes from, right? Things are fine when they're not changing that much, as long as we've got it set up pretty well. And then, darn it, <laughs> it doesn't stay that way. Or, um, yeah, just all kinds of things bring suffering to us. So, you know, it's um, it's the simplest and it's the deepest. And it goes anywhere from the change of, you know, I'm getting a new job or my relationship situation is changing all the way to the point where we're all going to die, right? We go through aging, illness, death. Um, I want to try to be inclusive and cover all kinds of changes and disruptions that people are feeling, although often the tendency is to focus on the um, really big ones. We have two day-longs this year that are going to be on death specifically. But this is more more generally on that continual feeling of unsettledness that we have because things are always changing and even if we get them set up for a little while they don't stay that way. So what I'd like to do actually is offer you first just an internal reflection for you to think about for a moment which is what do you want to learn today or what do you want to be different by the end of today? If you want, you can write it down. You don't have to, but just be aware of that. And then, you know, my aim, of course I have these notes and things that I want to offer, but my aim is to meet that somehow. So I'll point out that you're responsible for that, (laughs) what you want to learn or what you want to be different. And that means asking me questions or engaging in a way that's going to help you reach that. So I just offer that as part of how we do our practice And then, um, let's, since we have relatively few people, why don't we just go around and each person say their name and briefly uh, what drew you to be here today. Start over here. It doesn't have to be huge and profound, just so that we hear everyone's voice. I'm Mohsan. And um, I don't have anything specific to tell. Okay. So that there's this day long, so I wanted to... Yeah. So you're looking for a day of practice, in a sense, and figure it'll be good somehow. Yeah. Thanks. My name is Nancy, and impermanence is one of my favorite subjects. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Yeah. I, I do embrace change, and I just went through a big series of changes, and, um, The one I struggle with most when it comes to impermanence is uh, when it comes to relationships and how they come and they go. And then there's a piece of me that says, why even bother? Yeah, (laughs) that's right. And I've heard, uh, I've asked, looked at, pondered this and looked at it and asked questions around it and have received a number of different answers and um, I'm just reluctant. Keep exploring that. Great. Thank you. Um, Yeah, impermanence is um, one of the aspects of Buddhism that I I like to reflect on. Although sometimes if I reflect on it, I get fearful because just in the past year I've lost two friends of whom I was just thinking as a person here. And... um, 
One it was a tragic death, and one was a very expected and sort of peaceful death. She seemed very peaceful in her transition from life to death. And um, I can't, I really accepted the impermanence of her dying. I accepted that as part of her evolution because um, it was so open, it wasn't a closed thing, and the whole community was involved in, you know, her passing. And um, I often reflect on death, but it's not in terms of impermanence because I think it's just a transition. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a change. That's yeah, why yeah. I was trying to be more general. So, uh, great. Kind yeah. of like changing. Um, I'm not sure I'm exactly going from body to body, but I'm definitely going from my stream of consciousness to the next stream of consciousness or something like that. Something's going to change. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Great. Okay. My name is Gilbert. Um, I'm here because I want a chance to practice uh, for the day, um, but also particularly to, to practice with others. I and mean, that's yeah. um, a great blessing to be able to practice with others. Um, and then also, of course, it's uh, a blessing to be able to to come here and practice with the teacher and to kind of hear what they have to offer. Okay. Thank you. And? I'm Susan. And, um, I said earlier, sacrificing a sunny day <laughs> is a big deal. Um, so I'm definitely here because of your way you teach. And, uh, did Gilbert about the blessing of having folks to practice with. Yeah. I think, I mean, <clears throat> the intention continues to be for me to build muscle and rewire my brain so that rather than attacking myself um, for having grief or fear around change or death and loss um, that I can build compassion and then when I notice that the second arrowing is going on to even have compassion for that as mm-hmm. my mind's attempt to keep me safe so Finding that body parts are not working as much. <laughs> that level of change can be kind of concerning. Yeah. So, yeah. My fear. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Several of you have mentioned fear, and also um, several of you mentioned the way you respond um, to change. And we know if we've practiced even for a short time that we start to see patterns in ourselves. It's like. Um, and, you know, sometimes they're amusing and sometimes we realize, wow, that pattern really is not that um, beneficial for me. Or sometimes we realize, we, we're, we're impressed, we realize we have resiliency or some, you know, some skillful way. We say, wow, I had more love than I thought I did until I really started looking at myself. Um, and so I love this because what I had hoped for today, and maybe it came through somehow in the way I framed the uh, writing of this, you know, the blurb for this day long, is that I, what I wanted to do is look at how is it that we respond to change. You know, let's take a look at what we do. And I want to describe also some teachings, because the Buddha knew all about this. He knew that people suffered in this way, and he tried to offer teachings that match that. And so I wanted to go over some sort of lesser-taught teachings that he gave about typical patterns that people use in responding to change as well as positive ones like compassion that Susan mentioned. And then we're going to have, um, there's going to be a fair amount of sitting and time for us to uh, reflect and get quiet. But I also want to do um, an experiential exercise in the afternoon where we will literally meet our meat change uh, with our bodies. And you know, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how the day unfolds. I'm not sure if all of you are planning to stay. I hope so. Um, but part of meeting change is just to go with the conditions as they are. So we'll see what unfolds. So permanence. I'll start with some initial teachings and then we'll begin exploring. So um, there are a lot of different levels where we can engage with impermanence. Or actually the word anicca literally means inconstancy, uh, which sometimes I'm starting to think is a better Translation. Impermanence sounds like something 
is is ending. Or there's, it focuses mostly on the cessation or the going away completely. Whereas in constancy, they could be there, but the problem is that it changes and it's not reliably constant. And that is um, true for other things, some things that don't seem to end. Um, so the problem is that we tend to meet these things on a surface level where we're just like reacting to them and kind of dealing with them and trying to manage them, basically, which is fine. That's when we have to go through our life that way. But this actually does not lead to the end of suffering around impermanence. It mostly, at best, leads to kind of dealing with it, which is okay. There's a lot of dealing with it kinds of things. Um, but we can go, you know, we can go deeper than that. And I wanna, I wanna offer first a story from um, Blanche Hartman. She's referring to a um, text in the Pali Canon, actually. But she, so she says. There's a text in the original teachings that tells the story of four horses. One of the horses starts to run just seeing the shadow of the whip before it even touches him. The next one starts to run just having the whip touch the hair of its skin. The third horse starts to run when it really feels the pain of the whip on its skin. And the fourth horse doesn't really get going until it feels the whip in the marrow of its bones. What is this whip? This whip is just that evanescence of life, just the teachings of impermanence. Why are you here at a Buddhist center? Why is anyone here? This is Blanche speaking. Why I'm here is that I began to notice that all things are impermanent, including myself. I came to practice the first time I almost died. The second time I almost died, I really came to recognize what a joy it is to be alive. Maybe that's like the fourth horse, I didn't get it until it really got to the marrow. But maybe it's not so bad to be the fourth horse, because when it gets to the marrow, you've got it through and through. You don't think, well, maybe just some things are impermanent, maybe, but not me. Maybe I'll live forever, or maybe whatever I love will live forever. Or maybe impermanence is not really the truth. So when we really start to get it to the marrow of our bones then we really have something to work with. You know, if we're still up at the surface level of just reacting and suffering for it, we might not even realize there's an alternative. So today we're exploring this truth, the truth of impermanence in all various aspects. So Blanche Hartman is talking about generally heavenly messengers, where we get some kind of a message. For her, it was almost dying. Um, But for... Us, you know, and that's typically what's described as aging, illness, and death are the heavenly messengers. But we all get them in various forms. It could be a relationship ending. It could be a job ending. It could be something nominally positive, like getting married or getting or the birth of a child. And we find that it's actually way more disruptive than we thought. It's not only joyful like we thought it would be. And so that feels... Challenging, and then we have the added guilt of, "Gosh, this was supposed to be great, but it's not quite." How do we deal with that? So, we get a hint that looking deeper would be helpful. And this, by the way, is not the typical response. The typical response of humans is to bury our head in the sand or to just try to deal with it somehow. But I can assure you that turning toward and looking deeper is the better strategy, and that's what we're going to do today. So impermanence is actually totally every day. Um, We may not notice that impermanence happens all day, every day. Is there anything that hasn't changed yet so far today? (laughs) Really, in terms of our body, our feeling, our thoughts, our mood. Maybe our mood has been relatively constant up to now. It's a mood to last for hours. But still, um, we've had a lot of change just today. But we tend, when we're in this mode of more the surface level understanding, is that we tend not to see all of that as change. It's just kind of like our normal routine. And then what happens is that we notice instead big instances of impermanence, you know, huge things that come as shocks. We feel shocked. We feel betrayed. Somebody dies. Um, there's a big weather event, and, and people die somewhere across the world or somewhere here. Um, or a relationship and something large 
And so then these things feel like big losses or disruptions because we weren't noticing all the small that there's really just a one more version of the all the small ones. I've had some disruptions myself this year. I uh, had with all the heavy rains in the uh, early winter, there was a big leak at, um, at my house, and so then that took like four months to get fixed and all this stuff. So that was sort of a big ordeal. And I, but then every now and then I'd remember, oh right, impermanence, change, stuff doesn't last. Um, the roof is going to eventually get weak and not really work anymore, and then you have to deal with it somehow. Um, I was in a car accident about a month ago. My car got completely, not completely wiped out, but it got fairly damaged. Um, I was slightly damaged. And this was, again, you know, sort of a a disruption. That wasn't what I was planning for that day. Um, But these things happen. And um, similarly, it turned out to be fine, but I had a, a health glitch. I had an abnormal mammogram. And those are more common these days with the digital scans, which seem to pick everything up. But there was a period where I had to go in and get rechecked and get a deeper test. And it turned out it's fine, no no cancer, but, you know, you never know. And so these little things, or big things, um, are part of this changing body, life, mind, heart. Or you can just look around here. This is a new center. We've been in this space for all of a month and a half. Is that right? Yeah. No, less than that. I mean, we've sort of been in here, but then we had our big celebration only like three weeks ago. So um, this is potentially a wonderful new thing, and it is, actually. And yet there's like scrambling around in the background to get more volunteers and figure things out, and the lights are going to go off every hour, and we're going to have to repress the button. You know, so change. (laughs) It's always, always something. And, of course, look outside. We have a new president. We have a different world that we're living in. Nobody um, in this room had individual personal power to bring that about. I don't know how you voted, but it's uh, certainly different. <laughs> and a lot of things are, are um, altering in the world order. It could be that it's you know a short time of chaos and then there's a backlash and things go back, or it might not. It might be a permanent shift. It might be, who knows? And most likely it'll be some combination of those things. Some things will really be on a different track and some things will not and will uh, deepen and recommit to, you know, we don't know. So everything feels fairly uncertain. We may be feeling all of this inside at some level. So we need practice. This is a time of any time when we, you know, we need this practice to take in impermanence fully. Um, Buddhist teachings are really helpful for this because the Buddha really emphasized this as a, something important to look at. Sakyong Mifang Rinpoche says, the reason we contemplate impermanence is because we don't quite believe it. Which I like because, you know, it, it's true we all believe it at some level, but we don't quite believe it because we're still surprised and still disrupted in some way. And in some ways we part of part of our response issue, which we're going to be talking about more how we respond, is that part of what we think is that we should behave in a certain way in the face of change. We've been conditioned because most of the culture is shocked and betrayed and surprised by impermanence, we then get this feeling like, oh, when things happen, if I don't respond with concern, worry, agitation, upset, it must mean that I don't really care somehow. So we don't have really good models of an alternative besides freaking out, um, which is too bad. It would be nice if we had better models than that. You know, If the only choices we think there are are freak out or um, be indifferent, those aren't really great choices. <laughs> How about, so we're trying to cultivate you know, better wisdom. The Buddha actually encouraged cultivating what's called the perception of impermanence, um, which I really like that phrase. It's anicca sanya, the perception of impermanence. So that just means remembering to notice moments of impermanence, moments where things are changing. And this can be done on various levels, which we're going to kind of traverse through today. So the top level, which um, still uses the cognitive mind, 
is to reflect, basically. So it's still kind of at the surface level, but um, it kind of leads to a doorway of looking more deeply at impermanence, which we'll do later today. But if we start just with reflection, you already reflected today on what you what you want to learn by the end of the day. Well, that's a change. You're reflecting on how you want something to be different, how you want there to be an impermanence of your current understanding. So it's not like all change is bad, and we can even intend for some and move towards some. But it is helpful to deliberately reflect as part of our practice, not just as part of our regular daily routine, but to reflect in a practice sense on things like um, the change in leadership in the United States and on things like terrorist attacks, like the one that we had in London recently, for example, um, on earthquakes and large weather events. Uh, this Just sort of researching this to think about it, I remembered that tsunami that we had, I don't know when it was, eight or nine years ago, that wiped out, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in Japan were affected by that and their nuclear power plant and all of this. You know, stuff like that is uh, completely out of our control. And so to reflect on these large changes that can go on in the world, not as a way of freaking out and not as a way of shutting down, but in a, in a way of just slowly in little pieces with our cognitive mind taking in that it's really quite uncertain, this life. There's a teaching where um, a monk, is it a monk? Somebody is um, saying to the Buddha, well, you know, what, what would happen if the mountains started closing in from the north and then from the south and from the east and from the west and they were just, ro- the, the mountains just started moving and rolling toward us. This is part of the worldview of ancient India is that mountains might just do that. And the Buddha um, said, well, this is just like what's happening with aging, illness, death, and all kinds of other things in the world. They're just rolling towards us. And he says, the correct solution is to sit down and meditate. I thought, that's pretty good. Um, I mean, if that's really true, the mountain is really moving, what what else could you do besides sit down and meditate? Um, So for other things, maybe there's something we can do, go out and do compassionate action in the world. But there are some things where it's really true that Just sitting down might be the best option. And then if we want to get, so those are large world events. If we want to get a little bit more personal, that story was a transition to reflecting on aging, illness, and death. You know, our own personal transitions that are going on. Um, And separation, actually. I should add that since that was mentioned earlier. That's one of the four, um, well, there are so-called five recollections, and the first four are aging, illness, death, and separation from things that we love or care about. And the way that we reflect on these is actually a phrase. It's, um, I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to grow ill. I have not gone beyond illness, and I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond death, for the first three. And then it's, um, all that is loving and dear to me will become otherwise, will become separate from me. These are are very powerful reflections if you actually take them in. So I, I recommend doing them in a way that is supportive, nourishing, um, And I especially like the one about separation because it says all that is, I think it's all that is dear and pleasing to me will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So it points out that the thing itself might no longer be pleasing at some point. And this is like, you know, relationships that don't work out or something, for example. They were great at the beginning and then we realize, oh, you know, we're just not compatible. Um, Or we'll become separated from me. It will just, you know people move or they go away in some way. Or another way that we can, sometimes the different way that that same reflection is translated is, I will become different. 
separated from all that is dear and pleasing to me. And I like that because sometimes it's us that does the changing, actually. You know, in the relationship, it's really not that the other person changed that much, it's that something in us changed. And we realize, oh, I'm growing in a way that, you know, I'm not... I'm not on the same track with this other person anymore. And that can feel very painful, but then it's like, well, but something's unfolding in me. I have to, I have to go this way. And we're the ones who leave. So there's that. Or, you know, practice changing changes us. Um, I often speak with people who have started a practice and they've suddenly felt, oh, this is the time. Meditation is for me. I'm going to get into this. And then about, mm, usually like three, four months, they come to the teacher and they say, I love practice, I'm totally committed, I'm sitting every day, it's so meaningful to me, and I'm having trouble in that um, my friends don't meditate and I don't feel as connected to them anymore. This is the first thing you have to deal with in practice. And so, you know, there's the standard response is, well, you're changing, and... It might be nice to add to your friends, you know, get some Dharma friends, um, which is often the first step in the path is actually that you, two people mention, they like practicing with other people. That's a very, very basic support for our practice is to have others that we practice with and that we have as Dharma friends. So we have to admit, though, that we're the ones who are changing. And that can lead to, to differences. So that's the first thing we have to work out <laughs> in our practice. Um, and it tends to work out fairly peacefully if we just allow ourselves to continue opening to practice. But then other things change also. You know, We may find that we're not in the right job after four, five, six years of practice. I'm not saying this is going to happen or that it always unfolds this way. Uh, but I've seen it in enough people that I want to name it. <laughs> um, you know, and then there's the of, well, should I ordain? Do I need to really do that? Should I be a layperson? Um, Etc. And these things tend to work out if we're able to stay with them. But there may be some changes. And so we have to admit that you know, the practice brings changes in us. So these are helpful reflections. And then to reflect more broadly, it's that it's not just beginnings and endings. It really means inconstancy. And so then we start seeing not just the huge level, not even just the sort of personal level of my life, but the continual flux of everything from day to day. Um, things change on all time scales, from the flickering of um, the lights <laughs> or the flickering of our um, you know, mood, our emotion. I could say something that could give you a flash of anger. Oh, why did she say that? Or they could give you a flash of sadness. Oh, that's right. But then five minutes later, you're on to something else because the topic has changed. So, but these things change very rapidly. And so, as we open to that, we can, um, <clears throat> you know, we can begin to appreciate just how deeply impermanence pervades our day. And then we can start to be interested in opening a little bit more directly. But these reflections, um, which are ongoing throughout practice, I think are very important. So what I want to do is um, have us do a guided meditation where I'll um, um, actually first point towards stability, because that's very important to have, is to observe change from a stable base and then um, move into seeing some changes But first, if you want, we've been sitting for about 45 minutes, so if you want to stand up and stretch for a few minutes, that'd be be fine. And then we'll do that meditation. Okay, so settling into comfortable meditation posture, one where you can be upright and also relaxed. So at ease and alert. Going ahead and letting the eyes close. Just feeling the body sitting. 
can bring your attention to the foundation that you're sitting on, the cushion or the chair or lying on the mats, just where you're being supported, so your seat and also your legs and feet. And it helps to feel the stability of that. Feel the groundedness and the support. Allow yourself to be supported. Sometimes we're kind of holding ourselves up or bracing against the place where we're sitting. So see if you can kind of relax and melt into the chair, the cushion, the mats. Sometimes to do that, I bring my attention right to that interface where it feels warm or where there's pressure and just kind of imagine my body extending an inch or two down into what I'm sitting on just to soften that boundary. gently releasing and relaxing through the body, so softening the muscles of the face, the forehead, around the eyes, the jaw, so softening the expression on the face. And then softening through the eye sockets, Letting the eyes rest gently. Sometimes I like to keep the eyes, the eyelids closed, but Gently raise the eyebrows for a moment so that the eyes are open but the lids are closed. And then release the eyebrows. Feel if you can let your eyes and forehead soften a little bit when you do that. And then even relaxing inside the skull, in the brain, in the little thinking muscle behind the eyes, just releasing that if you can. And then maybe imagining a little space between the very top vertebra and the base of the skull. Tends to relax the neck. Drop the chin slightly. And then releasing the jaw. Softening down through the throat, collarbones, (coughs) relaxing the shoulders, letting the shoulder blades slide down the back. Feeling that the upper body is kind of aligned, the shoulders are usually below the ears. Letting the arms relax down through the hands. The chest and heart area softening through the heart and lungs. Releasing the diaphragm muscles. Maybe letting the breath a little farther down into the belly. Softening the belly, letting it round out forward or soften, sink down into the abdomen. And then simultaneously softening the muscles of the low back. So the front and the back 
of the torso area are releasing. I think of it as the front and back of the, the stuff in front of and behind the spine, kind of each falling away from the spine. And then down through the hip area. Again, softening the seat where you're sitting and releasing the groin muscles down into the thighs and the knees. Calves and Achilles, ankle joints, and relaxing the feet also. And then on the next in-breath, kind of feeling the energy from the breath enlivening the body. So we've released, the hopefully, some of the habitual holding where we tense and kind of hold ourselves in place and instead replace that with the dynamic energy of the breath and the natural alertness of the straight spine as a softer, more dynamic, mobile energy. We can be just as relaxed but also somewhat alert. And bringing the attention gently to the sensations of the breath, the breathing, a flow of very simple sensations in the nose, down through the throat, maybe into the chest or even the belly. A kind of a coolness on the in-breath. feeling of motion, maybe sometimes some tingling, pressure, movement of the clothing against the skin. And on the out-breath, some relaxation, different kind of movement. Maybe the breath is a little warmer going out. So just allowing the mind to rest, to have those sensations as a basic reference point to be quieter, less focused on thinking, kind of a home base. And of course there are other things happening. There's the sound above us, there's the sound of my voice, there are other sensations in the body, there's probably some thoughts and maybe emotions, plans or memories. I would encourage um, putting those in the in the background, allowing the breath to be more in the foreground. So it's not that these other things are distractions or wrong or getting in the way. But instead we just favor the gentle flow of the breath and let these other things have their life in the background if that's possible.
So we incline toward tranquility in the body and calmness in the mind. At least for now, we don't need to think about other things. The Buddha actually really encouraged developing stability of mind. Some sense of inner peace and calm. feel feelings of tranquility in the body or ease in the mind, it's actually fine to bring those into awareness, to acknowledge internally or let it register in your consciousness, yes, there is tranquility, there is ease here. To kind of nurture and nourish those feelings. This is actually encouraged in the teachings. to become somewhat stable. A little bit of reduction from our usual rushing around, buzzing from one thing to the next. Here we have the conditions or a mind that is moving a little slower as a basis of stability in the simple flow of the breath in the body. It is somewhat ironic that when the mind is moving very rapidly, as it can be in our daily life, we are less able to see change. Instead, what we see are solid objects, intractable situations, a sense of permanence that will be this way forever. The rapidly moving mind 
sees permanence. But it's a strange reversal that the mind that is still and quiet is well poised to observe change. This is why the Buddha encouraged calming the mind so we could really see It's like the difference between being on a ship that's rolling around in a storm and looking through our telescope or periscope. We don't see very well because there's so much change and shifting and instability. We can hardly see anything. But come up on land, put the telescope on a tripod so it's very stable then we can really see. And we could really see a butterfly across the field flitting about. Could never have seen that from the rolling ship. So taking as a basis the stability, even the small amount that we've cultivated here. We first open to the cognitive reflection of change, of impermanence. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond illness. My body is of the nature to die. It will go through that transition. And all that is dear and pleasing to me will at some point become separated from me. There are various ways. It will change. Or I will change. Or one of us will die. Of course, this is true for all of the unpleasant things, too. There's nothing that's not shifting or changing. Whenever we want, we can touch back into that stability, that groundedness sitting on the cushion, the simple flow of the breath. Stillness highlights change.
as we continue to sit, turning now to the deeper appreciation of impermanence, which is the direct experience of change in our experience. So the breath is a shifting, changing series of sensations. I said this before, but now notice that as change. It's not constant, even for a quarter of a second. And yet it flows along somewhat repetitively. Other changing body sensations. Maybe you have some pain somewhere. That too is not really constant. If we investigate, if you leave the breath and go to look at the pain, it's not really a solid wall. The size of the whole body part that hurts, probably it's a series of shifting and changing sensations of throbbing, pulsing, pressure, heat, maybe stabbing or burning. rapidly flickering over a pretty small area. I've experienced pain that felt strong, but when I touched into it, it was like a cubic millimeter somewhere in my knee. Instead of riding these closely with attention, it helps to soften the mindfulness a bit and see it more as a field of awareness in which there are these flickering sensations. put ourselves more with the depths of the ocean, letting the waves pass by on the surface. We see them going by, but we're coming from the depths where it's still. If all you know is the riding closely the surface waves, that's hard. So this is another reason to ground more deeply in the stability. Those are even more ephemeral. Thought is so rapid. And so tenuous, it has no weight, no shape. It's really just a little flicker of energy in the mind, unless we make something out of it.
another aspect of our changing experience is what's called the feeling tone. This is, it's not feelings like emotions, but it's a very basic flavor or tone of experience. There's three choices. There's pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, also called neutral. And every every experience through our sense doors has a feeling tone to it. It's a very almost visceral mm, interaction between the mind and what's coming in, the imprint or the impact of what's happening. And it's really the interface, actually, between the the body and the mind, or the sense door and the mind, because even the mind is a sense door. And it's really at the level of if it's pleasant, the mind has a response kind of like, huh. And if it's unpleasant, the mind says, uh. And if it's neutral, the mind says, eh. You know, it's kind of, that's kind of my voicing or personification of what the mind does with moments of experience. And they can be stronger or weaker. Uh, the really strong ones, of course, get a big reaction. But a lot of things are weaker, pleasant or unpleasant, or even just fall into the neutral, just kind of the middle territory. If you can't tell right away whether something's pleasant or unpleasant, it doesn't warrant a lot of thought. Hmm, was that slightly pleasant? Maybe it had a little bit of unpleasant with it. Not worth it. It's just uh, kind of a gut response, and it's it's worth opening to that. In the body, sensations have a feeling tone. Thoughts and emotions definitely have a feeling tone. You can learn a lot by watching the shifting feeling tones. So just continue to rest in some basis of stability. You can always return to that groundedness on the cushion or to the simple flow, the concept of the breath. And then from that somewhat more stable place, allowing the flux of experience, the changing body sensations, the changing feelings of the breath, the changing emotions, the changing feeling tones. Allowing experience to be a flickering, changing field of sensation. Try just resting in that for a little while longer. This is the direct contemplation of impermanence.
And in the last few minutes of this meditation, we'll again open to a reflection, which is that this is the way experience is for everyone. It's just how it is to be a human that there are these flickering, changing, not completely controllable flow of feelings, thoughts, emotions, body sensations, intentions. And a lot of people are operating without any knowledge that this is how it is. They're only at that surface of managing, dealing with, reacting to. There's six or seven billion people out there, all of whom have experience like this. What is it like to contemplate that? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.